So Larger Catechism 160, which asks, what is required of those that hear the word preached? And the answer is that it is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Now, this might be a slightly shorter lesson. I only got two pages here instead of four, uh, but I didn't want to jump into the sacraments quite yet. I feel like that deserves its whole own uh, section to jump into. But uh, again, let's ask the Lord's blessing as we look at this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have um, given us Christ, the greatest preacher, and that we've been able to hear him. Thank you that his sheep hear his voice and follow him. And we praise you that we've been um, enabled and allowed to hear the voice of our shepherd. And we ask that our ears would ever be attentive to his call and that we would follow him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're, again, we're going to go through this phrase by phrase and consider how we can listen to preaching better. If you think about it, um, if you're in a two-service church, we are hearing... 104 sermons a year just here, uh, despite whatever you hear elsewhere. So at least 100 a year, uh, multiply that by the years of your life. That's hundreds of sermons, hundreds and hundreds of sermons. And so if we can even make a marginal 1%, say, improvement in what we get out of a sermon, uh, that's going to have you know exponential benefits when you consider the course of our lives. So let's, take, um, let's give attention to hearing the word preached. And actually, can I have someone run a quick errand or favor for me? Uh, okay, Matt, in my office, do you know where my office is? No, is it next to mine? It is the first one in the office section okay. on the right. I have a bunch of book look, booklets on my desk called Listen Up. There's like seven of them. So if you could bring those all here, because I'm going to be giving those out to everyone. Right, I forgot to grab them. Thanks. Alrighty, so it is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with Diligence. So this is the first call. When we hear it, we want to be diligent in our attendance, which isn't only meaning like showing up attendance, but attending in our mind. Uh, Proverbs 8.34 says, and this is uh, wisdom speaking personified. Blessed is the man that hears me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. And you see this all the time in Proverbs, this picture of this expectation to receive wisdom, this desire to wait at the gates, to stand at the doors, ready to hear the word of wisdom. And that's the attitude we should have when we come to hear God's word, that we want to attend upon it diligently, expectantly, ready to receive whatever we're going to hear. And recognizing that when we're coming to hear the word of God preached, we're coming in a sense to hear the voice of God himself. We come with that expectation that God himself is going to speak to us. And therefore, um, we should be just as attentive as if you knew that in 10 minutes, there was going to be a voice from heaven speaking outside and you could hear God speak audibly. That is, in a sense, the type of expectation we should have. And so this means that we do want to make the most of every opportunity to hear God's words preached. It means we want to attend the services where the word is being preached. Um, we want ideally to do better than attending half the services, right? Um, a lot of people think it's fine to just attend half the services, but consider you could double 
the amount of preaching you hear, the sitting under God's word. So attending upon it with diligence, but not just attending, but also listening carefully and closely, attending on it, waiting at the door, kind of like uh, kids might wait at the door when they see their dad driving the driveway at the end of the day. They're peeking out the window. They're looking. They're waiting for when he comes in the door. That sort of expectancy we want to have in our hearts. And we do this remembering what we heard a few weeks ago, that uh, the preached word is the Spirit's special means of salvation, that the Holy Spirit wields preaching like a sword to work good things in our hearts and lives. So we want to attend upon it with diligence, but also with preparation and prayer. We remember Jesus's words in Luke 8, 18, to take heed, therefore, how you hear. He says things like this quite a while. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. It's not mere hearing one in one ear out the other, but we want to be careful that we're hearing in the right way. And so there are different things we can do to prepare, different things we can do to take heed how we hear. If we want to prepare for preaching, um, my brother-in-law, what they like to do in their family is they like to read the passage that's going to be preached on the way to church. They just open it up and they read so they have a bit of a head start, their minds already in the right zone for the message that's going to be preached. Um, Other ways you can do that is also by pre-praying. Perhaps even on the way to church, you want to just pray that the Lord would bless the preaching of his word to you and to your family. Make it useful so your hearts and your minds are both being readied in these ways. Some things that also have to do with preparation is working hard towards having a calm spirit in the home in the morning. I know this is a big challenge, but if it's a goal you're striving towards, you can be trying to make incremental improvements, even just small things. Working to be ready, you know, half an hour ahead of time instead of 10 minutes Knowing that this isn't just so that you cannot be stressed, but that so your hearts can be best prepared to enjoy the preaching of the word. And so it won't change right away, but that's a way to prepare, working to have calmness in the morning. And if there is stress, if there is friction in the family, seeking to apologize and reconcile it before you come into the worship service. Another way to prepare is by um, reflecting on confessing your own sins readying your heart, whatever, say, burdens, um, doubts, um, sins you're carrying, just repent to the Lord, confess them, and come into God's house of worship with a pure heart, knowing that you're already coming in forgiven and cleansed in Christ. And, you know, perhaps we don't receive more from preaching because we don't prepare much. We don't prepare our hearts by prayer, meditation, confession, calmness, all these things. And, um, you know, even in college, they tell you the kids that get the most out of the lectures are the ones that pre-read. And uh, a lot of us don't pre-read and you miss out on a lot because of that. You know, like if you want to get the most out of a trip, you prepare for it, right? A few years ago, I was able to go to New York City and I knew I only had one day to actually be in New York City. I was visiting a friend upstate, but I'm like, I want to make the most of my one day in New York City. So, you know, I prepared my itinerary. I made sure the route was efficient. I knew what trains I was going to need to get. And I really felt like I saw the whole city. I saw everything I wanted to see. I didn't, I don't feel like I ever need to go back to New York City. And I had a friend with me. He's like, wow. He's like, that was great. He's like, we did everything. 
He's like, the last time I was at New York City, I saw like one or two things. He's like, because I didn't prepare. He's like, I got to always travel with you now because you've planned the route to get the most out of it. Um, and that's just sort of a picture of the more you're prepared, the more you're readied to receive the most you can out of something, usually you will receive more out of it. So we prepare, we pray, and then when we come to the word, we want to examine what we hear by the scriptures. Again, that famous passage where Paul comes um, to Berea, fleeing Thessalonica, because there the Jews were all like, get out of here, you're, you're terrible, we don't want to hear the word. And we read that the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, right? There's that expectancy thing, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So receiving the word of preaching, we do receive it as God's authority, but that doesn't mean we receive it naively, that we just, um, with no will of our own, accept whatever we might hear. Right? People get drawn away to error very easily. But we examine what we hear by the scripture. Because the only authority in preaching is the authority of the word of God. So we want to ensure that what's being said is coming from the word of God. And so that's why it's good to have a Bible open, to be following along, to ensuring that what the preacher is saying is coming from and is tied to the text and isn't just um, his own ideas. And it also means that we don't need to be afraid to, at times, when necessary, question what we're being taught. Um, doing it humbly and with an open mind to hear what the response might be. But uh, this is even helpful for preachers. When, when um, I'm asked, hey, like, where, did you mean this when you said this? And I can say, oh, no, I was actually thinking this. And it helps me think for the future okay, when I explained that that way, it actually came across a little more like this. Or um, when I preached this way, that came across as heavy in this way, and perhaps in the future I should nuance it. Um, it's helpful for preachers to hear that sort of feedback. If you're confused, if something feels like it was unbiblical or um, unconfessional that was said, it's uh, quite all right to speak to a preacher about it and to ask him to clarify, you know, coming humbly, not accusing, but saying, hey, can you help me understand? That's really good. Um, we, we don't just sit under a preacher and like, oh, you are all and we can't question you. No, definitely not. A uh, preacher is just a man. We can make mistakes. Um, so we examine what we hear by the scriptures and receive the truth with faith. And this is important because if the truth isn't received with faith, it won't avail us. And that was often the problem with Israel in the Old Testament, which we're told in Hebrews 4.2. Um, For to us was the gospel preached as well as to them, which is actually really interesting. He's talking about the Jews in the wilderness, and he says the gospel was preached to them as well as to us, right? The gospel was in the Old Testament. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. It was an unprofitable message because the faith didn't come in and get mixed with the word. And so if we want to have profit from the word, we want to make sure that our hearts are attending on it with faith. And faith, in, um, often in theological terms, is considered to have three components. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Uh, the first two are sort of obvious. You have to know what's being said to have faith in it. You assent to it, which means you agree with it and consider it to be the truth. But then the heart of faith is that last piece, trust. Trusting what is said. 
And perhaps two ways to tell whether you're trusting what is being said in the word is whether you are actively seeking to obey its commands, right? You, if you trust that someone says, hey, um, wear a jacket because it is actually really cold out today, if you trust their word, you will put on a jacket, right? That's an evidence of your trust. Or it will be holding fast to the promises in the word, actually trusting the promises. And you know that you're trusting God's promises when you are setting your mind on them and actually finding some level of peace and composure in your life due to your trust of the promises. So you know you're having faith in the word when you're obeying what's being preached, but also trusting the promises being spoken. Add faith to the hearing. And we do recognize that ultimately the fruit that comes from hearing the word is when faith is activated, and faith is a work that the Spirit is doing in our hearts. And so again, prayer up front is even more important because we know that if we want to have lasting benefit, we need the Spirit to be working with faith in our hearts that they might come together and apprehend what's being said. And so even though we're called to exercise faith, we recognize we need the Spirit's help for it always. Um, Any comments or questions before we move on? Okay, a few other qualities for how to receive the word preached when we hear it. We also are to receive it in love, meekness, and readiness of mind. We heard a couple um, Sunday evenings ago in James 1.21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, which is a great King James translation right there, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls receiving with meekness this soul-saving word, welcoming it gently, humbly, and with love. And really, we, have, we, ought, we ought to have a great love of the truth, right? Who doesn't love to know what is true and right? And think of, you know, Psalm 119. David is praising. It's almost as if he's praising God, it sounds like it, but he's praising God's word. Your word that's sweeter than honey. Your laws are my delight. Your precepts are my heart's desire. And it'd be, it's weird to speak of a law being your heart's desire, um, but because it's God's truth, um, there's a love for God's word that is like unto our love for God himself. And we receive the word with love because we love the Christ of the word. We love Christ in the word. We love the words of Christ. And God's word is a revelation of God's will. And God's will is good for us. It is helpful. And so we receive it as the best way for our lives. As 1 John 5 says, his commandments aren't burdensome, but they are for our good. So we receive the word with love, meekness, readiness, as if it was choice silver, sweeter than honey, more valuable than gold. Uh, Which is really just all a way of saying we receive it as the word of God. As the very word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, For this cause we thank God without ceasing, ceasing, because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. They received the word not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Yes, Andrew. Um, the, the, the Bible itself is infallible, you would say, correct? But um, preachers can make mistakes or... So um, how, well, I guess I'm asking 
guess, I don't know how to um, describe the same like authority to a preacher preaching as to like reading the Bible, if that makes sense. But I guess this verse says you should, but I guess maybe Paul wasn't, I don't know, in that way or something, because he, he was an apostle or something. But that's probably her- heretical. So anyways, you can correct me. Um, yeah, I, like... Paul himself was not an infallible person, right? He wasn't the Lord Jesus. So Paul could have taught things at certain times that were a bad interpretation or erroneous. Only his writings in the scriptures can we fully trust as an errant. But we don't have any of his other writings anyways. Um, But, you know, we're just as prone to an erroneous reading of the word, if not more so than a preacher who's been studying a passage and delivering it to us. So, like, we don't want to have this kind of idea that just, if I just read the simple words as the words, I'm never going to make a mistake in how I understand them. Um, and so we, I'd say we should have more confidence in a word being preached to us than our own reading, because we don't spend usually, uh, you know, 12 hours studying one or two or five or a chapter in order to make sure we get it right. So that is why we care about having trained preachers who know how to even use the original languages so that they can try to deliver us trustworthy interpretations, though they are fallible, right? A preacher's interpretation can fail. And actually, this is even, um, people have different views of this. Um, I was taught in seminary something I don't agree with, which was that as a preacher, you should never show lack of confidence in your interpretation. They said you should never say, like, this text might mean this, or it might mean this, or I'm not totally sure this interpretation's right. They're like, you always have to present confidence to the church so that they can trust the authority of the word to say, you study it out and then just pick one and say, this is right. Uh, which I don't think is a good idea. You know, and you listen to John Piper preach, he'll say, you know, this is a very probable interpretation, but so is this. I lean more this way, but I can't say 100% which is the right interpretation of this verse. I think that's just honest and humble. But yeah, uh, to receive it as the word of God, which is important with what we heard before about examining it by the scriptures, right? So if it's manifestly coming from the text, we ought to be, I think, receiving it as the word of God, which is why it's important that our preaching is biblical preaching <clears throat> that is arising out of actual texts from the word of God. So did I kind of get that, what, what you were asking? Yeah, I suppose so. I guess um, if I was to personally, like, I don't know, study Greek and go to seminary or something, then, yeah, I guess there's some... It seems like a disconnect between like reading and listening. Or would you, I guess like listening to preaching versus listening to someone reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Is there much difference there? Yeah, I guess it's um. If you think of like reading the word as like you're just kind of getting, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but like a bunch of seeds or nuts, you know, like, you kind of take like a handful of sunflower seeds, but a sermon is taking one of those seeds from say a verse and planting it and actually seeing how much is actually in that seed. There's like a whole plant contained in this one kernel. And um, you might say, well, the bare seeds is what we're given. So that's the thing I'll stay with confidently, but actually in there's seeds all over the world that are whole trees and plants that are worth exploring. And so preaching is helping to bring out, you know, the depth and beauty and like fruitfulness within all these texts. So 
it might seem like, well, you know, this tree over here doesn't look like the same thing as just the plain nuggets, but it's actually all contained in there. And that's the beauty of like the inexhaustibility of the scriptures. Oh. But you, well, you can say like with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you can get that all in my personal emotions. I guess maybe that maybe we. This, um, I don't know if this is a beneficial discussion. Yeah. What we're talking about right now in the Catechism is specifically preaching. Yeah. Is there a section of the Catechism that also talks about reading? Yeah, I think we looked at that a few weeks ago. Um, how to profit from reading the Word of God? Um, I think it was yeah, 157. How should the Word of God be read? And it was actually almost the exact same answer. Yeah, it was actually a really similar answer to this one that, you know, we come to the reading of the word of God with prayer and preparation, setting our minds on it, expecting to hear from it. Um, almost the exact same, which makes sense with the Reformed doctrine that they, the Reformers were fond of saying the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Okay, that's a distinctive Reformed concept that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God insofar as it aligns with what scripture says. Even if it's saying something in different words or applying it or illustrating it, um, this is all God's word to us that we are to receive and believe. And back to Andrew's point, there is, um, there's nothing that a preacher can do that other people can't do. Any, if a preacher finds something in a text, an application of a text, a meaning in a text, any one of us should be able to find that, unless it's some like really nuanced thing with the original language, which is not very common. But um, there's nothing secret that preachers do. Preachers just usually invest a lot more time and energy meditating on a text, right? Even in a, in a good time of morning devotions, you might spend a whole hour with one little chunk of scripture, which even still I think is pretty rare, um, as opposed to, you know, the average sermon takes about 10 to 15 hours for most preachers to prepare. And um, you're just spending a lot more time with it. So you often get a lot more insights, a lot more things, applications coming from it. But if anyone else did that, you would probably come up with a lot of similar things as well. And you can read commentaries, see what people think about text. Yeah. Not to continue getting too far off topic here, but uh, with all the different translations that we do have now, and we do believe that they are infallible, Right, coming from the Greek and Hebrew, there are, like you said, a lot of nuances in those original languages that are, I think, very much missed in a lot of the English translations. Is there anything you can speak to about that? And any translations out there that are pretty out in left field, maybe? Yep. Um, I think I think people would be surprised at how actually. Um, how much nuances of the originals are not missed in English translations. I actually think most English translations do a really good job of actually conveying the sense of the original languages. And only every once in a while is there some really nuanced thing that gets missed. But I think um, you can think of Bible translations as basically on a spectrum from the original language to preaching. And so what, some that are trying to communicate much more the ideas in the text versus the exact wording and semantic structure, those are going to be a bit further than what might, we might call like a super literalism. But I still think they retain that vein of the word of God because preaching's the word of God. So even a paraphrase of scripture, if it's a good paraphrase, is still the word of God in the sense that it might just be more like a devotional commentary on the word, but it's conveying the ideas of scripture. So I think there is a place and a use for more wooden, literal, 
interlinear translations. There's a place for slightly looser, more understandable translations. There's a place where paraphrases can even be helpful for your own personal devotions, all the way to commentaries on the word, to the preaching of the word. So I, I think we, we don't want to reject any um, theory of translation outright to say you should never have a, what might be called a dynamic equivalent translation, where they're trying to convey the ideas and being a bit looser with the structure, I think there's a useful place for all of them. Um, yeah, uh, a couple translations I think are really good. I really think the Christian Standard Bible is probably one of the best right now. The ESV is a pretty good translation. Um, the New King James is a really good translation. That one has a lot of notes on like original manuscripts, which can be helpful if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, the NIV is actually a really good translation. Uh, people like to diss it, but it's actually a, an excellent translation. Um, or especially, this one's mostly only online, but the New English translation is really, really good because it has study notes and the translators tell you, here's why we decided to translate this verse this way. And they actually justify all their translations. They'll even show their like debate. Like, we thought this, but here's why we went with this. So that's helpful to gain some transparency. So yeah, that's the net, the New English translation. But good question. Uh, we receive it as the word of God. Um, and so there are times as well when we're hearing preaching that we do want to distinguish between the divine principle and the personal application, right? So it's important for preachers to apply the word of God, but not every application of the word of God is to be received as the word of God. Um, sometimes an application might veer more towards the territory of suggestion, which isn't wrong. We just have to know, um, and it's helpful for a preacher to distinguish this, um, because we ought to all agree on the principles, right? So for instance, a really common one that's perhaps controversial is we agree with the principle that children need to be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But in the application of that principle, some people might passionately feel that homeschooling is the best application of that. Others might think Christian private schools, or perhaps even public schooling with really good parental home guidance. Um, those are all different ways to apply the principle everyone agrees on. So uh, we want to make sure we're agreeing with the principles, but recognizing that at times a pastor might apply something in a way that's not as binding as the principle itself. Does that make sense? Um, I, Julie's old pastor used to kind of, he was this, I don't know if this is even a great way of saying it, but he'd say, hey, even from the pulpit, he'd say, you know, this, this suggestion here, this application, this is like a paper airplane. You know, I'm going to fly it out to you guys. And if you want, you can pick it up and fly it yourself, or you might crumple it up and put it in the trash. Um, but it's been helpful to me. Maybe it'll be helpful to you, you know? So for instance, even like something like this, I might say, my brother-in-law, they read the passage on the way to church. There's no binding command you have to do that, but that might be a really helpful idea to apply the word. And further, we want to meditate on the word of God. Hebrews 2.1 says, We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And so we really do want to, in a sense, chew on the sermon after we've heard it, think about it, apply it to our lives. Um, a sermon not meditated on is like a steak not chewed or a piece of gum you immediately swallow. Um, you're missing out on all the flavor and the extra richness and nuance that might pop out as you just chew on it in your minds. And we want to, in that meditation on the sermon, we want to personalize it to our lives. 
So the pastor will be giving various applications and ideas. And instead of just thinking, oh, that person should really do that. I really hope they're listening. Think, how might this apply to my situation? How might, how might, might I implement this in my own life? And so we meditate on the word ourselves, but then we also confer of it with others. Um, conferring, the, the Puritan era, they used to talk about a conferencing. Now, we think of conferences as big things, but for them, a conference was basically a small group. So they'd be like, we need to start having more Christian conferences where we can confer, right? I think those words are actually connected. Confer with one another, have some conference in discussing the word of God. And this is going to be both with family and friends, right? The preeminent passage in Deuteronomy 6, where Moses says, the words which I command you this day, they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So he was sa- he's saying there, the word of God ought to be just this like continually arising, bubbling up discussion in our lives, in our homes. That is, after we hear a sermon, we talk about it on the way home from church. We talk about it perhaps over the lunch table. We perhaps, at the end of lunch, open the bulletin and look at the discussion questions and ask one another such things. Instead of just jumping quickly to the score of the football games yesterday after the service, actually talking perhaps about the message itself. And I know that's actually challenging. That's even challenging for me to uh, have that intentionality to actually bring up these sorts of spiritual things in what's supposed to be the small talk time. But usually, if your experience is anything like mine, whenever someone does bring up, oh man, this aspect of the sermon really hit me, those are the conversations you enjoy most and you find the most benefit from. And so I think we just need to be a little bit more bold at times and actually being intentional with those sorts of things. Um, this is backtracking a little bit, but when we were talking about translations, I know we believe that the original scriptures were infallible and inerrant and inspired. But how do we think of that with our English translations? These are very accurate and faithful, but it wouldn't be correct to say that they're infallible, right? Because you can't have. If there are differences in manuscripts, um, the only infallible yeah so that, that that's a good point to say that you know a translator is just a person they could err they could get something wrong in how they translate it Um, whether it would veer into the category of actually being like a falsehood that they've translated, right? Like if it's erroneous, I think it would usually be like they're missing a nuance, but I think it would be pretty rare. There would actually be like the translation is turned that verse into an erroneous verse because they got it wrong. So I think at worst, it's probably they're just missing some nuances. But I think that's why this concept is helpful because if we recognize that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God, then that means even if the verse 
is slightly more on the preaching side than the exact original language side. It's still the word of God. So even if it's not the most perfect translation possible, we have enough, in a sense, uh, looseness in our theology to recognize that the word of God is still there. And I think the issue that comes up in circles that think they need to have, and this is the argument for King James onlyism, that they say if you reject this, then you're saying there is no perfect word of God on the earth because we don't have the original autographs, they're called, the autographs of scripture that the writers wrote. We only have copies of copies of copies, and we don't even know what manuscript families are necessarily the most accurate. Um, like, there's a lot of Bibles that, like, well, almost, actually, never, I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> um, and so they say, if we want to have the perfect word of God on the earth, then it must exist somewhere, and it exists in the King James translation because the Spirit guided that translation as a particular inspired translation. And the seed that's influencing that is this need to have this certainty that we have every jot and tittle in our theology crossed. And it just betrays what is really a very modern, and you could even say a very American idea, this need for certainty, that if something is not like a mathematical formula, then it's useless. And so this inability to recognize the word of God, even in translations, and to have a, a more flexible way of looking at scripture, it actually, I think, does it more harm than good. So when we have this just this woodenness, in our approach to God's word, um, I actually think we lose out in the end. And so we need to be okay with recognizing that God has preserved his word the way he's given it to us. God didn't, didn't give us the original manuscripts. He's given us faithfully preserved copies that even differ among themselves, but God seems to not have a problem with it, right? So if God doesn't have a problem with it, I don't think we need to either. And, you know, we work hard, we, we compare them, we try to figure out what's best and trust that the Lord will take care of the rest and that the biggest, most important things are abundantly clear in every type and form of the word of God that you can find. But thanks for bringing that up, Heidi. Anyone else want to jump in on that? Or? I wish everybody shared that view. Yeah, Andrew? Um, I was just going to say, going off that, would it be like, fair to say that all truth is, in a sense, like the Logos or word of God in that sense? Um, but I guess you get into, like, you know, the Bible doesn't speak to true things on other, uh, other topics, like if you get into, like, different vocations and different areas of study and whatnot. Right. All, all, all truth is God's truth, but I'd say all truths that we've discovered through human means are not necessarily infallible truths, right? Like even things that we thought were hard and fast rules or laws of science, we realize it's actually way more complicated, you know? Like, you know, we think of Newtonian physics, and it seemed like that was all the thing, and then you realize, oh, there's quantum physics. And so I think like all our knowledge in, in that sense is provisional and not infallible, though if it's true, it's just true. And that truth is pointing to God in what we call general revelation. It's just not God's special revelation that's revealing the way of salvation particularly. Yeah, Jane. Um, yeah, Jesus is the word. Jesus accepted the whole Old Testament. He commissioned his apostles to write the new Old Testament and he is the linchpin of it all. Absolutely. So we... 
confer of it, we hide it in our hearts. That is, we need to internalize the word that we might call it to mind in times of need. One thing that can be helpful after a sermon is trying to just remember, you, you, you're probably not going to remember even the three points, but remembering a key phrase or even a key word combo. So like a couple of weeks ago, my big word combo was this idea of endeavoring obedience. And if that was all, all someone gets out of it, it's something like that to keep in your mind. Right, I'm after not a perfect obedience, but an endeavoring obedience. Or when John Curry was here, just that line that stuck out to me was that the greatest enemy of the gospel is human righteousness, not human unrighteousness. And I've thought about that since, and that might be the only thing from that message that sticks with me, but if it is, those really little snapshots can be really valuable. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Luke 8.15, on that good ground, they are those who with an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. And that's what the Lord is after. Jesus said, I appointed you that you might bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And preaching is like water for the soil of our hearts that helps produce fruit in our lives. And fruitfulness, we don't harvest every season. Our harvest is at the end of our lives, and we are a slow growth. The fruit comes slowly, slowly, slowly over time. And it might feel discouraging in the short term, but you have to look back over five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years in the faith, and hopefully in the longer time period, you see, thank the Lord, I'm not what I was. He's been working on me slowly and consistently. So if you're discouraged, look, take a bigger time frame. That's often helpful. And a life of this faithful reception of the word, week in, week out, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, it does yield fruit in the lives of God's people, a harvest of righteousness. And many Christians think they can neglect preaching. They think I can read the word of God on my own. But all, all, all groups of Christians, all denominations that have tried to jettison preaching, thinking our worship service will be more relevant if we just have discussion groups, none of them are around anymore. They all dissolve because... Preaching is one of the best sustainers of life in the faith community. It's this unifying central pin that we unite around the word of God. We hear the same words together, and it's an essential help for maintaining consistency in faith in the long haul. Preaching is important. And um, I've got for y'all, I don't have enough for everyone perhaps one per household. I've got seven of these booklets called Listen Up by Christopher Ash. Um, I snagged these from a free resource table at Harvest last week. Um, and I, I, I read this book a, a few, well, this booklet a few years ago, and it's really excellent. I was perusing it again. And it's called, it's a practical guide to listening to sermons. How great is that? Um, if we're going to be listening to sermons every week for our lives, uh, a practical guide for how to do it would be great. So I encourage you, you know, take one per household. Um, I got seven, but don't be shy if you want it. Come get it. Um, Christopher Ash, And just, um, yeah. At the end, he has seven suggestions for how to encourage good preaching in your church. So he has some good tips there. Anyways, good discussions today. Um, I'm glad we filled out my shorter lesson time. Uh, but let's pray as we come to hear preaching again. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to be humble and ready to receive your word this morning. We ask that you will bless your preacher with the power of your Holy Spirit, 
to clearly communicate uh, the truth of the scriptures and to communicate the word of God to us, that we would receive it as the word of God. And not only that we would receive it into our hearts, but that we would meditate on it and confer on it with one another, and that we would see a harvest of righteousness from this sowing of the seed. And so we ask that your spirit would do this in us, ready our minds and hearts. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.